This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. 33 years is not a long lifetime, is it? How many of you have already surpassed 33 years, okay? Um, yeah, me too. In fact, in just a few years, I'll be double that uh, myself. And that, but that's the time that God gave to Jesus to live on this earth. And he didn't start preaching until he was 30. He died when he's 33, so he just had three, three and a half years of public ministry. I started preaching when I was 16. I'm 60 now, so I've been preaching for 44 years. I've been preaching longer than Jesus lived on the earth. I've been preaching here in this one place, in this one church for 25 years. So I've been preaching a lot longer than Jesus preached by far uh, in his ministry. And I've said a lot more words to a lot more people than did Jesus. But I want you to understand my life doesn't compare to his. Other than a trip to Egypt when he was a young child, very young, it seems that Jesus never traveled more than the distance between Judea, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, where he was born, up to Galilee. Spent a lot of time in Galilee, spent a lot of time in Judea, but at most 100 miles between those two points. He never went any farther than that. In the fall, my family, extended family, my kids and my grandkids, we all went on vacation together to the mountains in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I love the mountains. And but that's a long drive. You drive all the way across the state of North Carolina, that's a long haul. So long that that my four-year-old grandson was talking the other day and telling somebody that he went to Tennessee on his vacation, and somebody said, Where's Tennessee? And he said, It's on the end of the world. <laughs> he was in that car a long, long time. I have an eight-month-old truck. I bought a new truck last summer back in July. Eight-month-old truck. I have 11,000 miles on it right now. Jesus never traveled farther than 100 miles from here to here, and then one time to Egypt. He never went 11,000 miles in his lifetime, and I've done it since July. In fact, I've even gone farther than Jesus did in his lifetime. In a couple weeks, two two, three weeks ago last month, my my wife and I and our daughter and son-in-law took a vacation eight days we went to Ireland across the pond we went farther in that one trip and back than Jesus ever traveled in his whole lifetime during Jesus 33 years we know nothing that he might have written we don't have any books written by Jesus no magazine articles no blogs we don't know anything that Jesus wrote except one thing and he wrote it with his finger in the dirt And we don't know what that said. So we have nothing that remains, certainly, that Jesus ever wrote. We're not told that he ever wrote anything at all. And we know of nothing that was written during his entire lifetime about him other than a brief sign that was nailed to the cross over his head when he was crucified that said very simply in three languages, Greek and Latin and Aramaic, King of the Jews. Now later on, years later, the next 20, 30 years, people that knew him personally would write biographies about him. Um, but, but 
And we have those, those biographies, and they append the, his stories there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in our New Testament. Prior to being his preacher, Jesus, 30 years old when he started preaching, well, he, what was he doing before that? Well, most likely, although the Bible doesn't tell us this, most likely he was a carpenter. And we assume that because his stepdad, who raised him, Joseph, was a carpenter. We do know that about Joseph. So Jesus was raised in a carpenter shop and likely he picked up those skills. But he grew up in this little town of Nazareth in Galilee. Have any, any of you ever been to Nazareth? Any, there's one, two, I see a couple hands, three over here. That's about what we had in the last gathering. Out of several hundred people, only a couple, two or three. He was raised in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem. Anybody ever been to Bethlehem? Probably the same people have been to Nazareth because it was part of the tour, right? And um, I mean, how can you go to Nazareth and not go to Bethlehem? I've never been to either one of those cities. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. I've never been to either, none, and except for a, just a few of us here today. But listen to this. How many of you have ever been to my hometown where I was born? How many of you have been to Washington, D.C.? Would you raise your hand and look around? That's almost everybody. Thank you for coming and visiting my hometown. Um, But we've never been to where Jesus was born and where he was raised. He never married. I'm married. He never owned a home. I got one I'm still paying for. Had no children. I have three and four grandkids. He never owned a business. He never led much of anything other than 12 men that he handpicked who followed him everywhere in those three years of public ministry. And by and large, they were not men that people would have sought out for great roles in history. They were, by the most part, probably uneducated blue-collar workers just doing their jobs and living their lives when Jesus chose them. One of them didn't make it through to the end of Jesus' life because he committed suicide. Another doubted that Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. So here's Jesus having lived this relatively obscure life, being in the public eye in such a tiny place in the world for less than the term, less than one term for a U.S. president. So some people might assume it's safe to figure out that really, you know, he lived in an obscure place, three and a half years that he impacted anybody at all, but he never traveled anywhere, never wrote anything. It'd be safe to assume that maybe his life didn't mean much or that it ended too soon, or he was born in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, why wasn't he born in Rome or Athens or Alexandria, Egypt, one of the great cultural, political capitals in the world, Bethlehem, a shepherd's town? Some might even conclude from all that that his life was a wasted life. Yet, I would venture to say, I don't know you and don't know your background, but that you're here today, I would venture to say that most of us know more about Jesus than we do about President Herbert Hoover, who served one term as United States president less than a century ago. I don't know much about Herbert Hoover, do you? I mean, I, I can't tell you. I can tell you one thing he said. I've heard this for years. He, he had this campaign slogan. You know, we have a lot of campaign slogans, don't, don't we, to these days. Your wife is ugly and yours is not. And, and all this, that's what's going on today. Gosh, we're in a mess. Herbert Hoover had this one slogan. A chicken in every pot 
and a car in every garage. Have you ever heard that before? You know, chicken in every pot. That was his promise. You vote for me and we'll be prosperous in America and you'll be able to have eat chicken every night. You know, you'll have a car and cars were pretty new back in those days. I know more about Jesus than I know about that guy. Yet he was president longer than Jesus was in public ministry. We're gathered here today, hundreds of us in this building this morning, as are millions around the world, to sing about him and hear about him. Wish everybody a happy Easter and say things like he is risen. 2,000 years after he lived and died, and three days after he died, he rose again. Um, and, and by the way, I don't know about you and where you're from, but this is a weekly thing we do here at Nagset Church. We celebrate the risen Christ every Sunday, not just on Easter. But think about that. He lived 2,000 years ago. None of us in this room have ever seen him in person. None of us in this room have ever heard his voice audibly in our ears. None of us. We don't know if we heard it that that would be him or not. But none of us have. All we have are the writings of a handful of men who knew him personally, yet somehow, please get this, somehow Jesus is the one life around all of which history revolves. Around this one life, three and a half years, wrote nothing, only 12 followers. Some of them didn't do so good. And yet we used to say back in the olden days, those of you who, could, who remember the olden days, remember when things were, were B.C. and A.D., remember that? Before Christ and A.D. stands for Anno Domino or something like that, which means in the year of our Lord. Because all center, Jesus is in the middle. History revolves around this one life. The record shows he was executed on a cross. The record shows he was buried in a borrowed tomb, that his grave was guarded by soldiers, that his 11 remaining disciples cowered in the city for fear of their own lives. And after being dead for three days, the record shows that he came back to life on Sunday morning. And almost as spectacular as that is, and that, is, that ought to excite you, that Jesus, the Son of God, is alive. But I think almost as spectacular, not quite, but almost as spectacular as that is this, that he predicted it would happen. On more than one occasion, he said, they're going to take me, kill me, three days later, I will rise from the dead. I don't know how good you are about predicting things in the future in your life. I woke up this morning, walked out of the house at 5.30 this morning. And as I walked out the door, I heard what sounded to me like thunder in the distance. And you know, I didn't think about weather when that happened. You know what I thought about? The thought that came to me? Because I've been geared up for Easter for a while. I thought, I wonder what, if that's kind of what it sounded like when the stone was rolled away from the grave. But hearing thunder and I saw a few lightning flashes off in the, this, in the distance, I thought, oh man, there's going to be a downpour in Nag's head today. But you know what? Hadn't happened. I'm not very good at predicting things. I ought to be a weatherman on TV, by the way. I'm not very, <laughs> they're not so good either. Later in that day, on Sunday, in the afternoon, two of Jesus' disciples were walking to Emmaus, a village about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
And they're talking and having conversation about all the things that have transpired the last few days. His arrest and his, his beatings and his trial and his crucifixion and his death and his burial. And then the women went to the tomb this morning to embalm him because he hadn't been embalmed because they had to hurry up and put him in the tomb to get him in the grave before the Sabbath began because of Jewish law. And so they came back on Sunday to embalm him with spices. And when they got there, the stones rolled away. They looked inside. The tomb is empty. Angels greeted them and said, hey, he's risen. He's not here. And, and they ran back and told the disciples. And, and, and Peter and John ran back down to the tomb to check it out. And they saw the same thing. Nobody's here. He's gone. He's risen. And they were shocked. And they were surprised. And they wondered what could have happened, even though Jesus had told them. Here's what's going to happen. They had a hard time believing it. Well, these guys are walking on the road and having this conversation on the way to Emmaus. And as they're walking down the road, somebody else comes up and joins them. And so, hey, guys, I was back there a little bit behind you. What is it you're talking about? And it was Christ who joined them. But the Bible says that they were prevented from recognizing him. They didn't know it was him. They didn't recognize his voice. Maybe he had something over his head. I don't know, but they did not recognize him. And they were shocked that anybody would say, what's going on? What is this you're talking about? And they even looked at him and said, dude, how can it be that you've been around here for how long? And he was obviously Israeli. They knew that. And you don't know, remember last Sunday, there was a, a huge parade in Jerusalem as Jesus from Nazareth came into the city riding on a colt and the streets were lined with people throwing palm branches on the ground and shouting Hosanna welcoming him as Messiah and then he spent the week teaching in the temple and he did some amazing things while he was there and then he was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane and then he was beaten and he was tried and he was crucified and then three days later this morning he's not there and the news has taken off around the city of Jerusalem it's spread you mean you do, haven't heard about that and so it says Jesus began to explain to them what it all meant, because they're trying to figure it out. And he went to the Old Testament scriptures, and he began to tell them what was taking place and, and why that happened, and explained it all to them. As they got to the town, the village of Emmaus, and you can figure out how long it takes to walk seven miles. Some of us, it takes 14 hours. You know. They probably got there quicker. But it's getting to evening, and, and as... Near Eastern people in their hospitality do. They said, you know, if you got any plans for dinner, and they learned a lot from this stranger. Got any plans for dinner? We want to hear more. He said, no, I don't. They said, well, come and have dinner with us. So they went and sat down at a place where they had dinner, and they're beginning getting ready to eat, and the Bible says that Jesus took the bread, and he, listen, he broke it, and he blessed it. How many times have they seen and heard him do that very same thing. And when Jesus blessed it, he said a prayer. All of a sudden, it was like somebody turned on the lights and it was revealed to him. It was Jesus Christ. And they got all pumped up and excited. And just as they got all pumped up and excited, as the Bible says, he vanished from their presence. He was gone. 
And they looked at each other and said, we can't stay here. We got to get back to Jerusalem and let the other guys know. And so they hurried back to Jerusalem. I imagine they went back a whole lot quicker than they walked down there. And they go back to Jerusalem. They find the other disciples. They go to where they are and say, you guys won't believe this. And they tell the story of what happened on the road to Emmaus and about him breaking the bread and blessing it. And it was Jesus and the other disciples are astounded. Wow. But guess who wasn't there in that room where they were meeting? Thomas. And while he's there, while he's there talking, while these guys are there telling uh, the other disciples about it, it says the door was locked and Jesus showed up in the room. Now the door is locked from the inside, but Jesus shows up. And of course the disciples think they have seen a ghost. A lot of people want to discount the resurrection of Christ and say, well, these appearances after the resurrection were hallucinations. Please understand, we cannot all have the same hallucination even if we were all take the same pill at the same time. That doesn't happen. And at one time, there were more than 400 people that saw Jesus alive. So to say they were having a hallucination, no. Psychologically, that doesn't happen. That, that's just not how hallucinations work. And, 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 and he looked at them and he said, guys, it's, it's, been, it's been a long time since I've had anything to eat. Got anything to eat? And they had some, some, uh, some fish that they had broiled. And they said, got some fish. And Jesus said, great. And he took a piece of that fish and in front of them, he ate that fish to prove to them he wasn't a ghost, he wasn't a phantom, that he really, truly was alive. Well, as I said, Thomas wasn't there. Look with me at John chapter 20, verse 24. But one of the 12, Thomas, called twin, which tells us Thomas was a... So some of you just learned something from the Bible today. Isn't that great? Thomas was a twin. He was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples throughout the week as they saw Thomas, they kept telling him the story. Man, we were there and these guys came back from Emmaus and Jesus showed up and he's alive. They had to keep telling him that. They kept telling him. Why? Because he kept saying, I don't believe it. He kept saying, no way, Jose. Eh, It can't be true. You guys saw something. But he said to them, okay, here's the deal. If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, if I don't put my finger into the mark of the nails, and put, if I put my finger in the mark of the nails and I put my hand into his side, unless that happens, I will never believe. You ever try to make any deals with God? Unless this happens or that happens, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to trust you. Uh, he says that to the disciples. Well, eight days later, His disciples were indoors again. This time Thomas was with them. Again, even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. The other guys are whispering, it's happening again. And Thomas is here. And Jesus said to them, peace to you. In other words, how many times had he said that in his times with them traveling for three and a half years? You know, on, on the boat, storm, peace be still. Peace to you, guys. It's okay. Calm down. Nothing to get jumpy about. And then he says to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. 
Don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. Now, Thomas is standing there, and here's Jesus, and he walks up to him. He says, hey, Thomas, touch the wounds. Put your hand. And Thomas is saying, you guys ratted on me. You told him what I said. No. The point is, nobody ratted on Thomas. The point that I want you to understand, and I need to understand, is Jesus knows what I'm saying, everything I say. He knows where I'm going everywhere I go. He knows what I'm doing, everything I do. Nothing misses his attention. And he had heard from wherever he was, he had heard what Thomas had said. Unless I touch him, unless I put my finger in my hand, I'm not going to believe. And he says that to Thomas. Go ahead. Here they are. Reach out and touch. And Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. That was Thomas's confession of faith, by the way. By the way, please understand, Thomas didn't say, OMG. By the way, you shouldn't either. That's using the Lord's name in vain. That's an offense to God Almighty when something happens and we say, oh my God, unless you're really true in praying to him. Thomas didn't say that. Thomas looked at Jesus and said, you are my Lord, my master, And you are my God, confirming Jesus' divinity, that he indeed is God. What a great moment this was for Thomas. This happened just eight days after the resurrection. But I wonder, do you wonder about Thomas? I do. How many times had Thomas heard Jesus speak in conversation? I mean, he traveled with him for three and a half years. He heard him probably every day talking in conversation. How many times had he heard him teach? over and over and over again. Thomas heard him say those things about, I'm going to rise again the third day. Thomas, didn't you hear that? Yeah, I heard it. I'm not sure I believe it. How many miracles had Thomas seen? Maybe hundreds, including people who had been raised from the dead, like Lazarus was just a week before the crucifixion. It was Thomas who was traveling with Jesus with the other disciples on their way to Jerusalem for the very last time. And it was Thomas who made this statement. I find this amazing. Thomas said to the other disciples, let's go, in other words, with him to Jerusalem so that we may die with him. Thomas knew where Jesus was going. He was going to die. And he said, let's go and die with him. To me, that sounds like a great statement of faith, doesn't it? But I don't know that it was on Thomas's part. He had seen with his own eyes so many things, heard with his own ears. He had heard it all, seen it all. Yet please understand, Thomas's life had not been changed. Not yet. And that tells me something. That tells me it is possible that all the people that are here today gathering for for Easter Sunday that it's possible that there's somebody here today in this crowd that has seen a lot, heard a lot about Jesus, and they're just like Thomas. It's possible that you've lived through as many or more Easter's than me. This is my 61st Easter. And except for the very first you know, two or three, I don't remember anything about them, but I'm sure every Easter Sunday I was in church. In fact, I remember one time in church around Easter time. Uh, remember, remember the uh, what, what were those things called? I got it in my notes. What is it called? Viewmaster. How many remember Viewmasters? Oh, that was high tech. 
You've got this little thing, you put this little wheel in, it's got a bunch of slides, and you put them in there, and you look toward the light, and you click the button, and it moves them from one to the other, and you can see all kinds of pictures. That was pretty cool, wasn't it, back in the, for me, the 1960s. And I remember as an eight-year-old boy going to church, and they had a viewmaster in the classroom, and there were some pictures in there, some photographs, and something that people, somebody had done to make it look, tell the story of the risen Savior. And I remember seeing a picture of an empty tomb, and it scared me. Because I knew that, that's, that's where dead people are. And dead person's not there anymore. And that was, that was frightening to me. But I know the story pretty well. I wrote a research paper about it in seminary. I've preached about it for over 25 years right here. And like me, maybe you know this Easter story pretty well too. But the question today is this, has it changed your life? Has it changed your life? How is it that Thomas was essentially in the company of Jesus every day for over three years and his heart had not yet been transformed? There must be people out there who have read the Bible from cover to cover, who've gone to church maybe every Sunday of their lives, maybe they've even entered into ministry, but their lives have never been changed. And I talked to so many people who grew up going to church and they know all the stories, and they heard him taught in Sunday school, and they maybe even made a, a profession of faith when they were young children and even got baptized, and, but they wandered far away as teens or young adults because their lives had never been changed. I know people who can quote the Lord's Prayer and recite the Apostles' Creed with their eyes closed and their hands tied behind their backs but there's never been in their lives a new birth, a new heart, a transformation. And we're here today because of the resurrection. But it has to be more than an amazing story to us. That it's got to be that. It had to change Thomas's life, and it has to change our lives as well. Because if it does not change your life, here, listen, if the story of the resurrection and the risen Christ does not make a change in your life, and I'm not just talking about a momentary change, I'm talking about a forever change. If it doesn't change your life, you've totally missed what Easter is all about. You've missed it. And I want to say to you, please don't miss it. After his confession of faith, this transformation, Thomas, like the other apostles, had a changed life, and he went out to fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave, and he took his life, and, and about the, we don't have any scriptural stuff about Thomas after Acts chapter 1. He's not mentioned anymore, but we have it on pretty good tradition, stories, in fact, from written, things written in the third century that says he sailed to India in the year 52. And there he found a Jewish community in India and he met with them and from there he did what the other apostles did in the Middle East and in Asia, Northern Africa and Europe. He made disciples and established churches. Tradition also says that Thomas died a martyr as did most of the other apostles. 20 years after he arrived in India, he was killed. And I think there are two compelling evidences of the resurrection in Thomas's life. One is his changed life. He was a different man. And number two, he was willing to die for what he believed. Who dies for a lie? If you know it's not true, you're not going to let somebody cut your head off for what you know is a lie. But yet Thomas did. His life was changed. 
Has the resurrected Jesus truly changed your life? If you cannot honestly say yes, again, you've missed the point of Easter, but don't miss it anymore. And what a tragedy it would be to go through life attending church and knowing the story, but never being like Thomas and have that moment, that time when you say, my Lord and my God, put your faith in him. The great thing is unlike Thomas, as Jesus said, you don't have to see Jesus with your eyes to believe in him in your heart. I'd like for everybody in the room, if you would, to take out a communication card. Just grab one right now from the seat in front of you, behind you. Everybody, husbands, don't say, honey, you fill this out for me. I want you to fill it out too, honey. All right? Everybody get a card, get a pen. If you need to have one passed to you, ask for one. Everybody take a card. And here's what I want you to do right now. I want you eventually to put your information on there. Your name and how we can contact you if we need to and so forth. But put that information on there. But stop right now and here's what I want you to do as our band is coming. You're going to respond one of three ways on your card. And you're going to just write a little A, B, or C on the upper right-hand corner. I want you to write A if you can say this morning without any doubt, I have already put my faith in Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. I get it. I haven't missed it. I understand what the resurrection is all about. He is my Lord and my God. A, up in the right-hand corner. Maybe you're here today and you say, Rick, nobody's ever told me that before. I've never understood it before. But today I want to be like Thomas and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and, and, and recognize him for who he is and who he is in my life. And I want, to, I want to profess my belief in Jesus today. I want you to put a B in the upper right-hand corner. And you may be here today and you may say, you know what? I'm not sure I'm ready for that. I don't know that I, I want, maybe I want to examine it a little bit more, talk to somebody, think about it, but don't count me out. But I want to today, I'm not believing, but I want to say today that I, that I would like to, I would like to consider it. Would you put a C in the upper right hand corner? Then over the next couple minutes, fill out the card on the front. And then as you leave this morning, there's a basket on the table right there. You can hand it to somebody, one of our ushers, and say, take my card. Please don't fold them. They're not, or can you leave them in your seats? That will be fine. But don't go home today. A doubting Thomas. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world. 